Today is Wednesday, September 25th, 2019. On this day in 1966, the small community of Green Township, a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio, was drastically changed for the worst. A young couple named Jerry and Linda Bricka and their four-year-old daughter, Debbie, were brutally murdered in their own home. When their bodies were discovered two days later, the community of Green Township was forever scarred by their loss. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Patrick Hines of the True Crime Obsessed podcast. He's here to discuss some of the historical aspects of the Bricka family while I'll cover the narrative. Hey everyone, I'm Patrick, and I'm here to dive into the Bricka family murders. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode features discussions of graphic murder, including the murder of a child. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Let's go back to the evening of September 25th, 1966, the evening of the killings. After a long day at the office, Jerry Bricka was eager to get home. He'd spent his weekend working hard to earn a promotion, and he hoped he'd get enough sleep to go back to work the next morning. He pulled into the driveway and smiled when he saw his wife and little girl watching television in the living room. He was so happy to be home. The sun had long set as Dick Meyer peered through his window blinds. The Bricka's empty garbage cans had been sitting at the curb for two days now. To make matters worse, he could hear their dogs barking. They'd been barking ceaselessly for hours, and it was driving his wife up the walls. Meyer had known the Brickas for three years, ever since they'd moved in two doors down. They were a nice young couple. Linda could be a little aloof at times, but she and her adorable little four-year-old, Debbie, spent a lot of time tending to the garden and waving at anyone who walked by. But they hadn't been in the garden for two days. They hadn't gotten the paper for two days. Meyer had even called the Monsanto plant where Jerry worked. The kid hadn't punched into work for two days. Something was dreadfully wrong. At his wife's urging, Meyer called his friend and neighbor, Richard Jansen. Richard had also found the stillness of the Bricka home disturbingly suspicious. Together, the two set off down the street, flashlights in hand, to investigate the situation. As Meyer approached the Bricka home, he imagined the best possible scenario. He would knock, Jerry would answer, Linda and Debbie would say hello, They'd explain they were simply taking a couple of days off to be together. He would invite them to dinner. Everything would be fine. Everything would be the same. But the barking cut through his daydream. He looked towards the backyard fence, but no dogs moved between the slats. His eyes followed the sound to an open basement window. He could hear them, panicked, frightened, and lonely. The Brickas never put their dogs down there. 
And if the Brickas hadn't done that, Meyer's breath tightened. He and Richard froze when they reached the Brickas' driveway. They looked at each other, both of them nervous. Neither wanted to go inside, but they needed to know for sure. The men steeled their nerves, nodded, then approached the front door. They rang the doorbell, then waited. After they were met with cold silence, Meyer reached his hand forward and tried the knob. The door was unlocked. Meyer pushed it open and slowly peeked his head inside. As his face passed the threshold, his nose was flooded with an odor straight from his past. He'd smelled this before, more than 20 years earlier, during the war. Rotting human flesh. The smell was overwhelming, both physically and emotionally. Meyer asked Richard to go call the police. He would stay here and guard the door. Meyer stood outside the Bricka home for a long time, dreading what he knew would come next. The police were only on the clock 14 hours a day, so he was sure Richard would have to knock on a couple of doors to get them out here. He wanted them to take as long as they possibly could. When they finally arrived, Meyer took another deep breath in. He warned them of the smell as the officers walked past. But there was no way they could have been prepared. They exited the house, gagging and coughing, before departing. They later returned with industrial-sized fans. They blew the foul air out into the night sky, waiting for the stench to become tolerable. After some time, the police finally entered the building. Meyer watched as one of the officers exited the house, deep sadness in his eyes. The officer said, three dead, a man, a woman, and a little girl. We think they're the Brickas, but none of us knew them while they were alive. Protocol dictates we receive a positive identification, but their closest family members aren't answering our calls. Meyer's heart sank. He knew what they were about to ask, and he knew he would agree. The officer continued, we'd like you to look at the bodies. Meyer wiped a tear from his eye and nodded. Then he followed the officer inside. We'll learn about the specifics of the murders as well as their fallout within the community after this. And now back to the story. On September 25th, 1966, Jerry, Linda, and Debbie Bricka were murdered in their own home. Their bodies would be discovered by their neighbors, Dick Meyer and Richard Jansen. Meyer was a combat veteran during World War II, but nothing could have prepared him for the display of gruesome violence he would encounter in the Bricka home that day. Patrick will take us through the rest of the story. Thanks, Vanessa. The home had been ransacked, with items thrown in every corner. Jerry and Linda's bodies had been put on their bed, laying face to face, one on top of the other. Linda was wearing her nightgown and had been stabbed eight times with a very long knife. Six of those stabs had pierced her right chest, two of them had pierced her head. Jerry had been stabbed in the back four times, three times in the neck and twice in his head. 
The couple's blood had covered their bed and most of the floor, and their flesh had begun to rot. As horrific as that sight was, the most disturbing aspect of the crime was the fact that Debbie, their four-year-old daughter, had not been spared. The young girl, practically still a toddler, had been stabbed four separate times. Each blow had been powerful enough to pierce her entire body, and her corpse had been found laid out on the floor of her bedroom. Investigators surmised that she had likely been asleep when her parents had been attacked. This means that the killer had likely murdered Linda and Jerry, then went out of his or her way to kill Debbie as well. An unnecessarily vile act. In addition to the brutality, several other aspects of the crime stood out to investigators. The Bricka's dogs had been locked in their basement. The Brickas typically kept their dogs in the backyard, so it seemed that they had been moved to the basement by the killer. To make the situation with the dogs even stranger, evidence at the scene indicated that the dogs had been sedated, likely to keep the dogs docile during the attack. Additionally, a window to the basement had been left open, indicating to investigators that the killer had likely snuck into the Brickas' home through there. To make matters more interesting, the Brickas' kitchen seemed to be missing a single carving knife. Had the carving knife been present, its size likely would have matched the size of the wounds made in the bodies. It seemed that the killer had broken into the Brickas' home and used their own knife to do the killing. Unfortunately, the murder weapon was nowhere to be found, so this theory would not be confirmed one way or the other. Officers believed it was likely the killer had thrown the knife in the garbage cans on the curb as he left. As the cans would have been emptied the next day and taken immediately to the dump, the murder weapon would be lost forever in an unsearchable pile of trash. All of these details together suggested that the killer likely knew the Bricka family personally, and the attack would have required careful planning. The killer had to have brought sedatives with the express purpose of using them on the dogs. The killer would have known the layout of the Bricka home, and the killer would have known the trash pickup schedule. Yet even with all of this information, investigators were unable to find many plausible suspects. Their only lead, a veterinarian who Linda had temporarily worked for, seemed the most likely suspect. However, he acquired a lawyer who refused to cooperate with the police, and the investigation stalled indefinitely. The murder remains unsolved to this day. However, the effect the crime had on the Green Township community was stark and immediate. Before the Bricka murders, Green Township was a place where everybody left their doors unlocked and their windows open. The area was so peaceful and crime so rare that the Green Township Police Department was only open 14 hours a day. People were friendly and trusting and spent their evenings cooling off on their porches chatting with their neighbors. However, after the murders, the climate changed drastically. Newspapers at the time reported that residents started buying ice picks, tear gas guns, shotguns, pistols, ammunition, door locks, barrel bolts, and door chain guards in an effort to protect themselves. They adopted an overwhelming number of large dogs from their local shelters. They petitioned their city governments to install more streetlights, and they moved Halloween festivities to the afternoon rather than the evening. They also expanded police hours to 24 hours a day. The small community was forever changed by this single brutal crime. Its memory and the mystery of the killer will continue to haunt them for years to come. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again, Patrick, for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. 
You guys, you can find my podcast, True Crime Obsessed, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on the Bricka family murders, listen to our Unsolved Murders episode on the topic. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Giles Hovseth. I'm Vanessa Richardson.